Colectivo Raíces presenta su programa Espejos de Aztlán Información, arte, cultura Bienvenidos So today on Espejos de Aztlán we are with author Dr. Mike Tapia, who just released the book Gangs of Del Paso, Juarez, Borderland, a History, by the University of New Mexico Press. Dr. Tapia, Associate Professor of Criminology at New Mexico State University, guides us today in the examination of Southwest gang history, its subculture, and how to lead changes to help youth at risk. For Espejos de Aztlán today, Cristina Bachi. Bienvenido a nuestro programa, Dr. Tapia. Welcome to our Espejos de Aztlán show, Dr. Tapia. Thank you for coming to our show. Thanks for having me on, Cristina. Este, un placer estar en este programa. We were just listening this song that is with this pachuco word that goes around this song and uh, people talking about uh, being from El Paso, and your work has been uh, so deep on this barrio gangs subculture. You also work in San Antonio through this topic. How was it the beginning in 1915, and how is these days? Let's begin by the, by the history of it. El Paso, or Juarez, or both, are pretty widely known uh, by scholars of different uh, disciplines, you know, ethnic studies, you know, cultural studies, um, and uh, in my case, uh, you know, criminology. It, this region is known to be sort of the birthplace of, well, the Pachuco, right, is, yeah. is one sort of a personaje or, you know, street type, you know, street savvy, you know, or street oriented character that comes with a particular style of dress and everything. And so the, that, you know, well, that doesn't, you know, it really didn't, um, didn't emerge until as an urban stylistic dress or subculture or attitude or what, what mm -hmm. you might call, but until, you know, maybe the thirties, but yeah, you can find, um, evidence of its, uh, of, of street corner, you know, unsupervised or delinquent boys, Um, in the El Paso Juarez area and San Antonio, you know, uh, since you mentioned my last book, for that matter, also starts around the same time, late teens, you know, early 20s or and probably any uh, southwestern big city that has, uh, you know, a, um, a considerable history of uh, of uh, Mexican, Mexican-American or Chicano, you know, populations living in them. So, yeah, in newspaper archives and whatnot, in terms of the the history and finding documentation of this sort of phenomenon amongst uh, Raza or Chicanos, yeah, that's about the time frame where you can find it uh, being just uh, called a social problem or being, you know, considered a social problem uh, by the uh, cultural elites, I guess. It looks that it changed through the decades, and uh, then we are going to talk about how is these days. But I'm still curious about how was it in the times of the Pachuco time, to call it in some way, and um, what was particular at that time, and uh, what was the territory of this gang culture, and especially who were these, uh, the, the, the people who were in these gangs, because I was really surprised by your book. Well, first of all, there's a probably a debate um, amongst 
you know, scholars of, you know, these types of uh, subcultures and genres as to how delinquent we would consider pachucos or early mm-hmm. manifestations of uh, Chicano uh, street, you know, groups, um, you know, back in, in that era, you know, how, you know, what, even if uh, some considered it as a social problem, I mean, I think juveniles, you know, milling about inner city street corners up to mischief and stuff like that is, I mean, you know, that's uh, whether that's a problem or not is relative to uh, the historical era. But yeah, I mean, you could you could say it's, that that's almost never a good thing. <laughs> you know, it would be better for kids to have something, you know, more prosocial or more recreational to do, uh, more conventional. But so, yeah, so that's already a debate. And and in terms of that type of uh, subculture, including the Pachucos and their style uh, being a precursor to what we know today as, you know, more serious, sophisticated, insidious, uh, you know, gangs, street gangs or prison gangs or, you know, drug cartels or what have you, um, that's that's kind of the value in studying this thing historically, right, to see if they resemble each other in any way if if the pachucos or the, the you know uh early formations manifestations of these groups resemble in any way those that we know today there were some kind of chicano gang elements uh, particular for these gangs or we can say they were the same as any other street gangs in any other urban place yeah that's a good question i think that um you know when you study the history of american delinquency and what um, what it was, uh, or what we think it looked like um, at its origins. Yeah, uh, Chicano gangs are just, you know, one in a uh, in a long line of ethnic, yes. you know, street. Yeah, boy, you know, street boy. If you know, one one conjures up, for example, if you if you uh, consider the movie like uh, Street Gangs of New York, you know, yeah, that with Le- <laughs> with Leo DiCaprio very very popular yeah. <laughs> you know there's there's a depiction of um you know irish uh, street gangs you know back in the late 1880s uh, or 90s and and you can find some of that literature um as a matter of fact the first time uh, that that um el paso street gangs were documented in an academic work was in um in a in a book by Frederick Thrasher, which was you know published in like 1919 or something, and uh, you know so they basically are thrown thrown in with the Italian gangs that you know just all different ethnic enclave uh, groups that have formed in American cities throughout history. Uh, so Chicano gangs do have particular attributes that are you know considered to be you know pretty unique to them. But, you know, then again, you know, anybody who studies these gangs in any ethnic group could probably say the same of of all groups. The fact that at that time I was uh, seeing the pictures on your book, Gangs of the El Paso and Juarez Borderland, and the pictures are really, I, I was really impacted by them because I could see children in those gangs. 
as I was going to say, that really holds true to, in terms of the traditional age groups for uh, participation in, um, you know, unsupervised delinquent street corner. And, uh, you know, I, I, <laughs> I use that description because that's what we're talking about, you know, boys in the inner city that are, you know, milling about and, and are poorly supervised, which, again, in any historical era can't, you know, be a good thing. But, yeah, I mean, it starts at age, you know, at what, what anyone might guess, you know, um, late elementary school, right? You know, mm-hmm. fifth and sixth grade, 11 and 12 years old is when, um, you know, boys kind of start um, congregating together, boys from broken homes or, you know, from high poverty contexts. And, um, right, so that's that's always going to be, you know, the starting point for almost in any part of the world, you know, for um, this type of uh, phenomenon. Your work goes uh, throughout a specific area of the borderland and the cities you work through. Is there anything particular with this territory? Is there anything particular to that and the fact that there are there is a U.S. side and a Mexican side uh, related with this gang subculture? To begin answering that question, I would say that El Paso Juarez um, as a place, as a region, is pretty unique in this whole, you know, discussion, this whole study of uh, of that part of uh, of Mexican American history, because uh, as I mentioned at the at the beginning of this uh, talk, we, you know, it is considered to be the origin of, you know, not only the Pachuco, um, you know, type subculture, but just, you know, sort uh, even other other manifestations that have emerged since like cholos and you know and a lot of people equate this stuff with east la and um but really this this is kind of the origin and some writers place it in juarez and you know certain barrios in juarez and you know some in uh in the barrios of of you know on the u.s side which are like right you know up against each other nonetheless um this is where kind of a, a unique subculture took off and then spread uh, to East L.A. and uh, was noticed there uh, by law enforcement and, you know, considered to be, you know, some some nationwide group. But, yes, I mean, I think that the border context really did condition the emergence of this unique subculture, right? Because at that time, you, know, you could say, well, you have San Diego, uh, you know, Tijuana, right? But yeah. In the era that we're talking about, those, those places weren't really as well connected as El Paso and Juarez. You know, they, they truly, uh, you know, earned that title, sister cities, you know, and they were just so pegado, so, you know, up close. The downtowns of each, you know, city are right practically on top of each other, just separated by a river, you know, the Rio yeah. Grande. So, you know, whatever Mexico's history of delinquency or, you know, however uh, delinquent subcultures have desarrollados or unraveled over there, of course, it impacted El Paso and vice versa. You know, they um, they sort of feed off each other. They're, you know, there's reciprocal effects in how the subculture develops. Um, that took off, you know, and, and gained um, it, it because there's this historic migration stream between, you know, Los Angeles and El Paso. You know, that spread, you know, uh, westward from El Paso, like in the 30s and 40s. And, you know, then, you know, you had like, uh, like Zoot Suit riots and very, you know, historical things happening in California that seemed to define it more as a California subculture. Uh, but that, that truly is like an El Paso thing. 
And then, you know, it even traveled eastward, you know, to, to San Antonio. And I found, you know, a lot of, um, what you'd say, cariño or a lot of, uh, you know, like enthusiasm for the Pachuco subculture in San Antonio when I was studying it, but it just wasn't as potent, you know, it wasn't as genuine and as strong of a subculture there. You know, it was a minority of, of uh, you know, street types that really embraced that, that type of uh, persona. So, yeah, that's one of the things, one of the unique histories, you know, things that, that makes this, uh, this history unique here. We are talking with Dr. Mike Tapia, who just released the book Gangs of the El Paso and Juarez Borderland. And after this musical cut, we'll go back with him in this conversation to know what's going on in the contemporary subculture of gangs. Estamos hoy en Espejos de Aztlán con el doctor Mike Tapia, que recién publicará el libro Gangs of the El Paso and Juarez Borderland, a History. Hoy en Espejos de Aztlán, we were talking about the gangs and the history of it and El Paso. Uh, how was the, this area as uh, the origin of this kind of uh, culture? Let's talk about how the evolution, let's say, of gangs of culture changed and how would you portray them? Well, um, in the book, uh, in terms of its organization, it follows, um, I guess you could say, the, the evolution or just the timeline of these groups that we talked about, um, you know, early in the interview throughout the decades, right? You know, um, just in different locales, um, different population centers in this uh, borderland region, And taking, you know, kind of community by community and then, you know, showing the evolution of the groups um, in each in each distinct community. So, yeah, that's kind of the logic of the book. And and you're right. It, it you know, if, if people ask me, so, you know, what's the most basic contribution of your work? Right. And it is to document that history because things have changed quite a bit. And, you know, I try to capture, you know, how things have changed over time. Of course, you know, there's been uh, now if you if you say the word, you know, gang, uh, you know, then it, it connotes violence and uh, drug involvement in the drug trade and drug use and lots of, you know, Uh, social dysfunction and maladaptation. <laughs> yeah, and, and at the beginning, was right. it? It was. It wasn't related with drugs. I, I can imagine. Uh, yeah, you know, if you, when you look in the archives and you see, you know, um, the early signs of of this subculture emerging in America's, you know, inner or the southwestern inner cities, um, you see that it was pretty benign, you know, by today's standards. Of course, you know, a lot of that has to do with you know, uh, weaponry and technology, you know, yeah. and they don't, um, and so, but uh, you, every once in a while you would find, um, you know, 
pretty serious um, felonies, crimes that that these kids, you know, got involved in in the 30s and 40s. There were turf disputes. There were, you know, uh, fights over reputation and all these different things that we, you know, are tr- are kind of the the traditional or classical, you know, Vario gang archetype, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's fighting over turf and um, things of that nature. And it, it, it could be pretty, pretty bloody. It was, it was just a different type. It was, you know, the, the types of weapons that were used were, you know, daggers, brass knuckles, and, you know, um, even piedras, right? You know, yeah. And, and all kind of whatever, you know, whatever rudimentary implements that, uh, you know, boys used in those eras to uh, cause harm to each other. But yeah, the, the conflicts were much more up close and personal. So, yeah, I mean, on the violence side, there have been obvious changes, you know, with just uh, modern sophisticated weaponry. And and so that's one when you interview, because a lot of my interviewees are, you know, since since it's historical work, um, the older these gentlemen are, uh, these ladies and gentlemen that were tied to the, you know, to the subculture back in the 50s, let's say, the better, you know, because they, you know, then you have a firsthand account of what things were like. And so you would find that the elders will say, uh, you know, have really had a lot to say about how the subculture had changed over time and um, things having to do with honor and respect of, you know, in their minds have gone by the wayside. So there's been, yeah, so many different, uh, you know, changes in this context over time that, you know, it takes a whole book just to, (laughs) you know, try to, try to follow that. Um, And, so that's one contribution is just sort of to, you know, capture that history. And I make the claim early in the book that it's important to do so because things have changed so much that in the past, you know, maybe 10 to 15 years uh, in that time, we've seen that more public uh, manifestation of these groups go away, you know, whether it has to do with, um, you know, like changes in communication technology with, you know, social media, the advent and and uh, of of cell phone technology and its its ubiquity in the society. Everybody's got one, you know. And so the ways of communicating and and uh, and keeping in touch and having those networks um, communicate has just changed. You know, there's no longer probably a need to to uh, stand on the street corner and congregate. You know, the way um, these groups did in prior eras. So the, you are saying uh, that we are in a post-street gang era, something like that. That's a, that's a very good <laughs> way to put it, yeah, and I'd never put it that way, but yeah, I think so. Uh-huh. Was it a male-centric kind of uh, working together, or there were also women in these gangs, uh, let's say, historically and today? Yeah, girls have always been part of the landscape in, in this gang, uh, you know, subculture. Um, can the, we tell us a story that, or, or some uh, about uh, some story you know about? Oh yeah, plenty. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> and, you can um, share that can be shared in public. Yeah, sure. Um, there are like especially in the San Antonio book, for example. You know, there are stories of um, let's say in in the 1940s, there was this because uh, you you hear a lot of this. Um, when you're d- digging up this history, a lot of it is what you find you might call urban lore, you know, yeah. these these tales about, you know, these, <laughs> these characters, these Vario characters. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, there were, you know, uh, women in San Antonio, for example, who 
who were really well known for running uh, really seedy bars, you know, in the barrio. And San Antonio's west side is kind of like the quintessential, you know, barrio. It's the, you know, um, historically the, the Mexican-American barrio. And so, you know, there were women who ran these places and, you know, there were all kinds of street types that hung out in there, even like undercover cops. And, you know, so there was, it was a very, you get this, this imagery of this very, you know, lively place where, uh, you know, there were, there were fights and, you know, lots of rowdiness and drug dealing and pro, you know, all these street, street crime, you know, types of activities surrounded these places. So you needed somebody pretty tough, you know, to be able to control a place like that. And so, um, yeah, there, there are stories like that of, you know, uh, very strong women, Chicanas that, um, you know, played those roles. And then, but just generally speaking, you know, girls have always been, you know, just uh, part and parcel of this whole subculture. The roles that they play usually are not um, with such pronounced violence as the boys. Although, you know, there is a section in the 1950s, you know, uh, segment of the book uh, in chapter one, you know, where it discusses Las Cholas, you know, and, and just uh, the, the girl gangsters. And yeah, there's some there's some stories you can read about there about some pretty some pretty severe slashings and, you know, some, some really, uh, you know, graphic violence that was captured in the newspaper. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's not, uh, it's, it's a stereotype, but, you know, it is, uh, you you definitely see uh, women uh, being involved in these groups um, in all, in all sorts of ways. Talking about these, let's say, ethnic-oriented gangs, as the Chicanos, um, Pachucos, all these words come out from this environment. At a certain point, did you think about if this could be a resistance movement or is just a survival way of going through life? Absolutely. It, it, uh, for lots of people, it represents you know, a form of... Uh, uh, resi- you know, social resistance to inequality and, uh, you know, uh, discrimination and, you know, the differential type of treatment that, uh, that Mexicano-Americanos are, you know, known to have experienced historically in this country. So for, I'll, I'll give an example. Um, this one colleague of mine, uh, Robert Duran, is, uh, also has a book uh, le- that published last year since he was, uh, he was here at New Mexico State where I teach now. And I essentially replaced him as a resident gang expert, you know, but so he, he wound up writing about this um, himself and writes about it in a slightly different way than I do, you know, and, and his is a very social justice oriented approach. And for him, the existence of gangs, um, Chicano gangs, and, you know, just the the fact that they uh, went the, the route that they did and everything has, has, everything to do with, um, you know, it being a form of, of resistance, you know, that you could see that in embedded in that, um, in the Zoot Suit Riot story, you know, you've had Edward James Olmos, mm-hmm. for example, you know, uh, m- make uh, famous plays about this and movies and stuff. And that's, that's the depiction or that's the, I guess the underlying theme is that, um, you know, Pachucos were resented for being, um, stylistic, uh, yet, you know, having a, a, a sort of attitude that was anti-authoritarian. Yeah. And right. So if, if, if those are the roots of the subculture, then yeah, one could logically extend that to say 
gangs uh, and the existence of gangs in society in and of themselves is just a, a form of, uh, of you know, social or resistance to like social conditions. From what you studied uh, around this topic uh, in this book, Gangs of the El Paso and Juarez Borderland, uh, what do you see as possible paths? Uh, how can you help from this documentation to think about paths to help uh, children and youngsters in risk of being involved in uh, violent behavior? Does it? Uh, I know you also have a lot of not only academic and scholar uh, work, but also a lot of uh, field work. Um, uh, if you could think about what uh, can we do better, what would you say? Right. I, you know, one, I guess another value of uh, doing this sort of work is, you know, you, you educate lots of different types of people um, with the content on what gangs are about, you know, how they function internally, you know, whether they do represent some form of resistance. And so law enforcement read, you know, inevitably read these, you know, the, this type of book, they get their hands on it <laughs> because they're curious, you know, they're, they're, they're curious to see, and they've been interviewed themselves, right? You yeah. know, I mean, um, that, that's, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, the folks I interview are like retired, uh, you know, law enforcement who've seen changes throughout history. And so you learn that, you know, Basically, these these groups um, are born out of you know neglect of their um, of the need to to have pro social things you know for children mm -hmm. enough things for them to do in terms of uh, if you want to talk about city politics um, you know in terms of budget priorities or something you know what look at our expenditures on um, on you know incarcerating people versus expenditures on on prevention programs and and just simply public education right and then we you know people step back and scratch their heads and say well you know i don't you know why do these why do these uh, kids behave the way they do yeah. you know there must be something wrong with them individually or their families or you know and so yeah i think as a society You know, gangs are only a reflection of, you know, how we're willing to what we're willing to do about poverty and the urban conditions that that create these, you know, these type, you know, that, that push these types of groups to to form in the first place. Um, so, yeah, that's you know, it, it, it forces people to think about, you know, these types of things. And, I, you know, that that can that can never be a bad thing, you know, when you have to stop and think about the origin And, and historically how they've unraveled and some of the lessons that we've learned about that. So thank you, Dr. Mike Tapia, for giving us this interview. And thank you for your work. It's an honor to be on Espejos de Aslan. It's a, a really well-known uh, program, historical in its own right. So yes, thank you. It was a lot of fun. We were talking with Dr. Mike Tapia, who just released the book Gangs of the El Paso, Juarez Borderland, a History by the University of New Mexico Press. For Espejos de Slam today, Cristina Bachi. <laughs>
el botecito y el danzón, los chucos suaves bailan rumba, bailan la rumba y le tumba, bailan guaracha sabrosón, el botecito y el danzón.